Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the epilogue Four Dearest Ones, the letters that our hero, the Silver King, wrote to his family throughout the war. It's March 1945, and the Silver King is preparing for R&R and writes a happy, exciting letter dated March 2nd, 1945. Dearest ones, received your very sweet letter of February 14th last night, but alas, nothing tonight. But I can't complain since it has been arriving so regularly. I am also very happy that you're receiving mine more swiftly now. The change in weather has certainly improved it. Stanley, as you know, is very consistent about burying the lead to his letters with surprising news. As he writes, Tonight I really have some good news. Lying right in front of me are orders granting me seven days leave, effective tomorrow. I received them tonight and came as a terrific surprise. I had no idea whatsoever of falling in such luck. My pilot and I leave for Paris tomorrow morning. After a few days there and arranging for air travel, we go to Cannes, France, on the Riviera. There is a recreation area there. That's as much as I know about it. As yet, no one has been, so it will be totally new to us. However, just the name Riviera is enough for me. Imagine having a vacation in France on the Riviera. Why, in peacetime, people would spend a fortune for such an opportunity. I'm so excited about it, the same as when I was a kid before a trip. It's a lucky thing I didn't spend any money the past two months, for now I'm sitting pretty with two months' pay especially going through Paris on the way there and back, and seven days at the Riviera, I'll need every penny I have. The only trouble is that my clothes need cleaning badly, so I'm hoping there will be facilities for it there. My next letter will be from the Riviera, but if you don't hear from me for a while, you'll know I'm having too good a time to write. The weather was beautiful today. It should be very nice on the Riviera, maybe warm enough to go swimming, as I hope, and I have fourteen and a half. I'll write you all about it, or as much as I remember. Please stay well and not too lonesome. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. Our hero, the Silver King, is thrilled to be visiting Paris and the Riviera. He's packing, worried about his clothes, and getting ready for a significant week. And we will celebrate the significance of the Silver King's week by devoting this episode to the letters that he wrote to his family from Khan. 
The Silver King's con letters were written on American Red Cross stationery. And the first, which is a page, and dated March 10, 1945. Mother, my dearest, I'm a little late, but I want you to know I haven't forgotten your birthday. There are so many things I could say, if only I could see you to say them. My heart is with you, my dearest one, and truly it is overflowing with love and devotion. And with this love and devotion, I wish you, Mother dear, the very happiest of birthdays. I wish you life everlasting of health, happiness, and joy, which, being the sweetest person in the world, you so justly deserve. And with these wishes, I pray that never again will we be separated on this special day, that always you'll be near for me to whisper that I love you with all my heart. God bless you and keep you, my dear. Stan. Each time I read this love letter that the Silver King wrote to his mother, Sarah Bell, I'm amazed at the depth and the breadth of his feeling for her. Their relationship, which I observed, of course, as a son and a grandson, never seemed to reach what they had during the war, as I knew them. Of course, they were thousands of miles apart as I was growing up. Sarah Bell and Milton were living in Birmingham. They were in the Tutwiler Hotel for a few years before they had an apartment again. And as a family, we would see them occasionally on trips to the south. And, of course, when they traveled north to visit Leona and Lee and their kids, and, of course, us as well. When I read this letter 77 years later, in February of 2022, I'm struck really now by the crushing weight that his mother may have carried later in life, of course, when the king lost his moniker as a Silverfield and became the leading man in a play that began in Rockford, Illinois, as Stanley Seavers in October of 1960. But now, right now, the king is writing to his family in March of 1945. And this is a six-page letter dated March 10th from Khan. Dearest ones, you must forgive me for not writing this past week. It has been as I warned you, and now I have so much to tell you, I hardly know where to begin. Last Saturday, we left as planned, only our mode of travel was different than I had expected. Instead of going to Paris, a transport picked us up at the field and brought us directly here. I was disappointed at first because I wanted to see Paris again. But now I know it was just as well 
and a great deal simpler. We really had a beautiful trip down, even though it was rather lengthy, three hours, with our route fairly close to the border of Switzerland. From a distance, we were able to see the Alps as well as Lake Geneva. The Alps especially were extremely colorful, snow-capped peaks rising high into the clouds overhead. It's very difficult to explain the thrill each time I actually see something which only existed in books before. I only wish I could be sharing these experiences with you because I feel rather selfish about it. Now about this place. I'm sure I could tell you better than write about it. It's truly a beautiful spot, all and more than I had expected. The Air Corps certainly did well in picking this place for rest and recreation. It is absolutely ideal for its purpose. As you know, during peacetime, this was the resort for the elite all over the world. And having seen it, I can readily understand that. Fortunately, the destruction that usually accompanies war didn't reach here to a great extent. There is very little damage evident. Only a very few houses along the shore show evidence of being shelled by warships. There are a few installations, such as pillboxes, still standing but it is easy to see that this wasn't a well-defended area. It must have been taken with very little resistance. I was able to purchase a few postcards with pictures of the layout and shall forward them to you later. They will give you a better idea of how the city is situated. It is built practically on the same order as Miami. All the nice hotels are along the beach, while the city itself is behind. These hotels are the ones that have been taken over by the Air Force, and they are really beautiful. You shall see for yourself when I send you the postcards. Here where I am staying, the Martinez, I have a grand room. It looks out on the blue waters of the Mediterranean with doors opening onto a small balcony. I have a big soft bed with clean white sheets, which is really out of this world. In my private bath, I have a huge bathtub with hot water running all day. It's awfully nice to be able to lie in the tub for an hour each day. I'm afraid living in such luxury will spoil me. I have certainly taken advantage of it. The hotel has maintained its staff, and they wait on us hand and foot. Honestly, I have never seen such hospitality and politeness. They just can't do enough for us, and that's something you can't compare with in the States. Each night, the maid comes in to turn back the covers on the bed, just like you used to do, mother. It really makes me feel at home. Then she comes in in the morning to open the blinds and to make sure I don't sleep past the lunch hour. Imagine all this with meals included for only $1 a day. The meals are okay, except it's the same GI food, 
but we have orchestra music at the noon and evening meals, which help you forget that. Also, each officer is permitted to take one guest to dinner, so there is dancing and dining, just like a civilian hotel. Then the bar opens at 5 o'clock, where we can get cognac or gin, and there is dancing in the bar every night until 12.30. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons, there is tea dancing. Then there is an officer's club open every night for drinking and dancing. The club used to be the best nightclub in town, so it's a ritzy place and perfect for us. Besides these, there is still dozens of other clubs in the city. So, you see, there is plenty to do here at night. During the day is when we rest and relax. The first few days, we attempted to do some shopping, but the prices are exorbitant. I saw a slip marked for $80. It was made beautifully, but I can't see paying that much for something a lady wears under a dress. That's an example of why I didn't buy any clothes. However, I was able to get some perfume. It is shocking by Schiparelli. I remembered you liked it, Mother. I shall send it to you soon. The remaining days I spent sitting in the sun on the beach or in front of the hotel. The weather has been beautiful. The sun is warm, but not quite enough to go swimming. I think I did get a little tan from it. Something else that's nice is the Red Cross snack bar, which is open during the day where we can get coffee and cake. I wish you could see how the French women are dressed. The styles and fashions are much better than what I remember in the States. A great many of them are blondes, and the favorite hairdo seems to be an upsweep, with most of it in big curls above the forehead. They really do it up nice. Costume jewelry is predominant also. I've seen some beautiful rings and earrings, but the prices they pay are out of my reach. Then, of course, there are the ones in slacks with fur coats. Just as you would see in Miami or on Michigan Avenue. However, they don't seem to be as popular here, which is just as well. Most of the people speak remarkably good English, too. That is especially true in the shops. Even so, I have had to use my French quite often, and it has improved a lot. In fact, I can converse very freely now. We have been waiting all day for a plane, but it looks like we'll be here another night. I hope they forget to send after us. It won't make me mad. While here, I've met a lot of guys who I haven't seen since Columbia. It seems half my class is stationed in Italy, and some have already gone home. Maybe if I had remained in the B-25s, I would be on my way home also. I think I've covered just about everything. If I haven't, you ask me and I'll answer as best I can. 
I'll write again when I get back to the field, which will more than likely be tomorrow. I do hope you're well and taking care of yourselves. I've missed your letters. That's the only reason I'm anxious to get back. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. The Silver King's detailed and flowing writing reflects his version of a six-page love letter to the French Riviera. And of course, I think it's fair for us to try to read between the lines. He was a young man, 21, who would be 22 in April, just a month away. With every reading of this letter, I imagine the king enjoying one of the best weeks of his entire life. And it's certainly possible that his time on the Riviera included meeting a woman, perhaps French, maybe from Paris, who became a passionate lover of the king's for a certain time during Stanley's War. And as we reflect on the Silver King's adventures in early March of 1945, we have reached the conclusion of this episode of the Dearest Ones epilogue. And this is part 30. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.